Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Senator Sherrod Brown discusses the challenges of 2021 that stalled some major legislation and what could be an even more difficult year ahead for Democrats in Congress. Also this morning, Super Gut. The new book by preventive cardiologist and best-selling author Dr. William Davis explains how the human microbiome is evolving and potentially wrecking our health and how we can fix it. We have what you need to help meet your New Year, New You goals for 2022. And in today's Throwback Thursday segment, who decides what online content is appropriate? Big tech regulating itself may not be the best solution, but is government intervention a better alternative? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, January 13th, 2022. It is Korean American Day today. Uh, also, make your dream come true day. Today is the day to make your dream come true. As long as it's a simple dream and only takes a you know a little time. You know, some dreams they take a while to it'd be hard to do that all in one day, but you know, if it's a simple dream, you make it come true today. National Peach Melba Day, National Rubber Ducky Day, National Sticker Day, and is Public Radio Broadcasting Day. So, reasons to celebrate on this uh, Thursday morning. So, the numbers are in on our uh, Christmas shopping for the past couple of months. If you did most of yours... Last year, online, you are not alone. Adobe Analytics, which tracks holiday spending, is out with their final tally. And they say U.S. shoppers spent, are you sitting down for this? $204.5 billion between the 1st of November and the 1st of January. $204.5 billion just online. That is an increase of 8.6% over the same period in 2020 in in terms of online spending. Uh, They say shoppers spread out their spending over various days rather than just doing it on special sale-designated days like Black Friday or Cyber Monday. And uh, they also say they spent $3 billion per day for a record 38 days. 38 days in which we spent at least $3 billion a day. In 2020, there were 25 $3 billion days. So that is a pretty significant increase just there alone. Report with all of these eye-popping numbers also shows online shoppers saw Six billion out-of-stock messages online over the holiday period. So presumably we would have spent even more (laughs) had some of what we wanted to buy not been out of stock. But the uh, incidence of of out-of-stock messages in 2021 was 250% greater than it was in 2019. A 250% increase in out-of-stock messages uh, during the previous holiday season. So really some interesting numbers there from Adobe Analytics on the recently concluded holiday season. Just eye-popping. Eye-popping. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. I don't know if you saw this story yesterday. I saw it yesterday evening. 
And uh, I kind of feel for this guy uh, on TikTok, uh, a man uh, who documented his experience at the Starbucks drive through And I don't know who this is. His TikTok user handle is I'm blessed 55, but I'm guessing that's not his real name. Uh, so anyway, he documents his experience at the Starbucks drive through He goes, goes through the drive through He ordered a, a Frappuccino. And they were doing the pay it forward thing where you pay for the person behind you when you get up to the counter or when you get up to the drive through window. So when he pulled up to the window, uh, he discovered that the person in front of him had paid for his order. And then you're kind of expected to then pay for the next the order for the next person in line and they pay for the next person in line and so on and so forth. And this is long been a trend, right? You've heard of this pay it forward thing at the drive through. Here was the pro- here was the problem. They they were on a 23 car streak when he pulls up to the window and he learns that the person ahead of him paid for his order. Do you want to pay for the person behind you? But the person behind him <laughs> had a $46 bill. His was 6 bucks for his frappuccino. <laughs> he he expected to get to the drive-through window, hand over his six bucks, and that'd be the end of it. But the guy behind him, to keep the pay-it-forward streak going, he would have had to pay forty-six dollars to pay that. He said he passed, uh, and and he decided not to. So he broke the streak, and so he felt guilty about it. A lot of folks on uh, online commenting on on his video which was viewed more than 1.6 million times and received almost 25, something like 2,500 comments, most agreed that he made the right call by not paying the $46 bill. Um, so, But others offered uh, alternatives, and I thought this was kind of interesting. If this ever happens to you where you get caught up in that pay-it-forward thing, but you don't want to pay for the guy behind you, but you don't want to look like a jerk either and say what you could do instead is pay for a portion of another customer's order or uh, tipping, in this case, the barista at Starbucks, the total value of your order. So you wouldn't have to pay for your order, but if you pay for it, any quote unquote, pay for it anyway, just as a tip to the uh, staff, then that's a good way of kind of getting out of the obligation to continue to pay it forward. By the way, this is kind of interesting. Uh, Former Starbucks baristas also weighed in on the controversy. They said sometimes that pay it forward line like that at the drive-thru makes the checkout process even more complicated. So, yes, it's kind of cool. And yes, you know, it gives you the warm fuzzies, but it's not always the easiest thing for the uh, clerks (laughs) who are running the register. To keep track of, which I guess I never really thought about that. I just thought that was a, kind of an interesting story and definitely one of those buzzworthy stories, uh, things that you can talk about around the water cooler. What happens? You get caught up in one of those. You've ever got caught up in one of those uh, pay it forward things, but the, the next person's bill is much, much greater than your own. What do you do? Well, there you go. The alternatives. Uh, This created a lot of buzz yesterday. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has apologized 
for attending a bring-your-own-booze party uh, back during the height of the pandemic. Um, The admission and apology came during a dramatic uh, question. uh, It was a, a question thing where the prime minister, I guess, was taking questions from average citizens, and somebody asked him about it. Uh, and there were revelations have been revelations all this week about government staff having parties during COVID lockdowns, not following the rules themselves. And so someone asked the prime minister about it and he had to admit that, uh, yeah, he had a party at his place (laughs) during the COVID lockdown in his defense, though, he says he believed it was a work event (laughs) because he is prime minister after all. The uh, government has faced public criticism in recent weeks as a string of revelations about parties held for government staff while the general public were, were told not not to socialize. And <laughs> even the prime minister has been caught up in the oops. <clears throat> um, by the way, speaking of Great Britain, I thought this was kind of interesting story a couple of days ago uh, on the uh, Newswire. One grocery chain in the UK uh, has decided to get rid of the expiration dates on the milk it sells. They say they're no longer going to put expiration dates on milk cartons. The logic is that people are throwing away too much food simply going by the expiration date when the product is not actually expired or unsafe. They say... When it comes to milk, you can do the sniff test, and that's a better uh, measure of whether milk is safe to drink rather than just some arbitrary expiration date. So, Morrison's grocery store chain in the uh, UK says, uh, generations before of us, uh, generations before us have always used the sniff test, and I believe we can too. Uh, let's see. And uh, lastly, among the first things that you need to know this morning, something for you to chew on here. If you are already feeling pretty hollow about those new year, new you posts online, you are not alone. New survey shows most Americans bail on their new year's resolutions by February 1st. 68% of us by the end of this month will have bailed on our New Year's resolutions. A new poll of 2,000 Americans uh, say they uh, give uh, give up some 32 days on average from the time the ball drops. 50% of those in the poll vowed to eat healthier this year. 40% wanted to exercise more. 47% vowed to stay on a budget. 42% wanted to save more money for retirement. 28% said they wanted to learn a new skill in the new year. Another 28% vowed to cook more uh, and uh, eat out less. And yet, among all of those, on average, 32 days. That's about it. They also detailed why we have trouble keeping our promises. 52% blame a lack of discipline. 43% say they're just too busy. 40% say social pressures that lead them astray. About 40% blame family members for breaking their willpower. That's right. Throw your family members under the bus. It's not my fault. It's 
my family's. And uh, 35% say their spouse led them to give up. <laughs> I don't know how your spouse feels about, uh, about hearing that. But anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, some of the reasons why we uh, give up within four weeks, 32 days of the new year. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. It's, that's not necessarily news, though. I mean, I think most of us can certainly relate to that. And have for years. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly cloudy today, a slight chance of a rain or snow shower, a high of 40. Cloudy tonight, a low of 25. The Finley-Hancock County Public Library says it's been informed by the Ohio Department of Health that it will receive no more COVID test kits in January. The state is prioritizing the kits to support testing for K-12 schools and colleges and universities. Director Sarah Clevidence says their last two shipments went really quick. We got shipments most recently on December 30th and then on January 5th. In both cases, those shipments were gone within four hours. The most recent one on January 5th was 2,592 tests. She says they're hoping to get more test kits from the state in February, and when they get more in, they'll let everybody know via their social media, website, and on the phone message on their main number. Get more on our website. The new maps for Ohio's House and Senate districts must be redrawn. That's the decision of the Supreme Court of Ohio, which concluded the maps are invalid because the Ohio Redistricting Commission did not attempt to draw legislative districts that correspond with the statewide voter preference of Ohioans. The GOP-drawn congressional map is also being challenged by lawsuits and is also under review by the court. Get more on our website. 25-year-old Summer Bartek, the twin sister of a Cleveland police officer who was shot and killed, says her brother Shane was her idol. Shane Bartek was memorialized during a funeral service at Grace Church in the Cleveland suburb of Middleburg Heights. He was fatally shot on New Year's Eve during a carjacking in the parking lot of an apartment building on Cleveland's west side. Cleveland Police Chief Wayne Drummond says Bartek was a true public servant and the template for what Cleveland police officers should be. Dave James, ONN News. Columbia Gas recently began two natural gas line replacement projects in Finley, One of the projects is focused on Washington Avenue between Lima Street and Yates Avenue. The other is focused on an area north of Tiffin Avenue from about G Street to McManus. Columbia Gas says the -the state-of-the-art plastic pipe they're using has several benefits, including enhanced safety features. Work on each project is expected to last about four to five months. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. To begin with our cover story this morning, earlier this week we spoke with Representative Bob Latta about the upcoming year legislatively. Today, want to get the view from the other chamber of Congress and the other side of the aisle with Senator Sherrod Brown. Senator, we'll start with the same question that we posed to the congressman on Tuesday. What are your priorities uh, legislatively as we get into the year 2022? I'm working to extend the child tax credit. Um, over a million Ohio families have, have gotten at least a $3,000 tax cut. Um, overwhelmingly, numbers of 90% of Ohio families, and we want to make sure that continues. 
The president made it clear this week that he wants voting rights legislation passed soon, that uh, that bill, along with his Build Back Better plan, were both carryovers from 2021. Disappointments for many Democrats that you couldn't get those done last year. Can you get it done, given that it's no guarantee that you even get a couple of certain Democrat holdouts to get on board for this? Yeah, we, we still work towards it. I, it's a disappointment. I'm sure, it's a disappointment for Democrats. That doesn't matter. It's a disappointment for so many Americans who were counting on Congress finally to stand up to the drug companies so that negotiate so we could so that Medicare could negotiate drug prices directly with the drug companies um, the way we do it at the VA, saving billions of dollars for Medicare beneficiaries. Um, the the uh, the Congress we want to extend the child tax credit, which is been a $3,000 tax cut for 90% of Ohio families. I mean, there are, there are things in this we want to do. And on, on voting rights, uh, we have seen in too many cases, including uh, the, what, what happened in redistricting in Ohio, uh, too many politicians think they should choose who their voters are rather than the voters choosing politicians. And um, the Republican Chief Justice of the Supreme Court uh, said to her party, you can't keep doing that. Uh, and struck down the redistricting bill. So all of those things are better are in Ohioans' public interest and in the national public interest, and we continue to work on them. You bring up uh, some of the key provisions of the uh, Build Back Better uh, plan, uh, which has been declared all but dead. There is some talk, however, of inserting some of those provisions into other legislation in the coming year. What do you make of the idea of trying to pass the president's priority items piecemeal? Well, I, I think that the the, um, the whole bill isn't dead. The whole bill... Uh, so you think, shall we say, you think you can uh, still get that still passed this year? I think, think there's still a reasonably good chance. I, we're talking to um, members of the, we're talking to a couple of Democrats who are not on board. We're still hopeful to get Republican support. Um, I think there are a lot of things in this bill that I know there are a lot of things in this bill the public likes, the child tax credit, uh, investment in housing, investment in uh, all the, the the training, job training, so we can scale up and do the kind of infrastructure that we've passed. All, all those things are still out there, and we keep working on them. The uh, president also, uh, in the past uh, several days, has uh, alluded to the fact that he believes that uh, maybe it is time to address the filibuster rule. And I know that a lot of folks in Congress have been very hesitant to go there. Are you ready to support uh, the idea of getting rid of the filibuster? Yeah, the filibuster has been a, it's an old rule that used to not be used much. Now it's used all the time. It, it make, it's the reason Congress is so dysfunctional. I mean, there's no question the public sees the dysfunction of the U.S. Senate. And the reason for the dysfunction is the majority can't get things done because of the filibuster. And the filibuster was used to stop civil rights laws 50 years ago. It was, it's been used to stop the majority from governing. And we're a majority rules country that if one party wins the Senate, House, and presidency, then that party gets its agenda because the voters voted for it. And if the voters don't, don't like it, then they, they punish us or they punish the party in power. I mean, that's what majority rule is all about. But when you have a filibuster uh, that the minority uses over and over and over again to stop, you know, to, it, so often the filibuster is used to protect the drug companies, to protect uh, Wall Street, to protect big corporate interests. And that's, that's what we've seen in the last several years.
speaking of holding the majority, that leads to the uh, last question. We'll get you out of here on this. Can Democrats unite long enough to get all of these priority things done this year with the midterms looming and the fact that historically, as you well know, the party in the White House loses generally loses seats in Congress in those midterm elections and your majorities are in both uh, in both chambers are razor thin right now. Well, I think you look at what we've done the last year, and I, I would say that, uh, well, first of all, the, we've created more jobs, 8 million jobs created in this country in the last 12 months. Uh, the unemployment rate has dropped, dropped more drastically, more precipitously, choose your adverb, has dropped faster than um, at any time in the last several decades. Uh, we are going to see more economic growth. The, the Trump-nominated, now Biden-nominated chair of the Federal Reserve, uh, said that we're going to see significant economic growth in the second and third quarters. Uh, the economy, once we get inflation under control, and I think that's going to happen, it's certainly a problem we've got to deal with. Uh, people are going to be pretty happy with what they see coming out of Washington. We've we've done the child tax credit. We're doing uh, uh, public transit support, not just for big city transit, but for small town transit. And Fenley and other communities, smaller towns, rural transit matters, especially to older people. So we're, we're doing those things that will change people's lives, make people's lives better, uh, and we continue to fight for those issues. An optimistic viewpoint. We'll see how it all plays out in the year ahead. Again, uh, Senator Sherrod Brown with us this morning talking legislative priorities for the year ahead. Senator, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Great, as always. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. Well, the concept that what we consume has a huge impact on our overall health is certainly nothing new. But our next guest says the human microbiome is evolving and potentially wrecking our health. His new book explains how we can fix it. Dr. William Davis is the best-selling author of the book Wheat Belly, his new book, and the associated cookbooks, and his new book is called Super Gut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight. And Dr. Davis, first of all, thanks very much for joining us. Let me start with the basic question. Uh, explain what the microbiome is in kind of layman's terms and how it is evolving and, as we said, potentially wrecking our health. You know, it's only been a relatively recent phenomenon that anybody's actually paid attention to the human microbiome. That is the collection of microbes that dwell in your GI tract, your gastrointestinal tract. In fact, for many years, the only importance was that uh, if you took an antibiotic, it gave you diarrhea <laughs> because it disrupted the microbiome. End of story. That's where the curiosity ended. But the opposite is proving true. The intestinal microbiome, these creatures that live in your GI tract, are proving to play a huge role in health, and we must pay attention to what they're doing, who's in there, in order to regain control over health. So is this the same concept as uh, what we've heard about the probiotics uh, you know, uh, affecting your microbiome? Is that all kind of under the same umbrella? Yeah, the probiotics are kind of this starting place. Okay. It's, it's, it's a very primitive kind of uh, rudimentary way to re rebuild the microbiome. Probiotics are probably, uh, ironically, among the least important things you can do. Uh, one of the things that's happened to modern people is that we've been exposed to numerous things, such as antibiotics, other prescription drugs, 
food additives like emulsifying agents, synthetic sweeteners, and diet sodas. All these things conspire to change the human microbiome. One of the things that's happened is we've lost important species, species that perform very important functions for us, and we've lost them. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is you can restore them and regain all sorts of health benefits, including such things as being happier, having less anxiety, feeling deeper affection for the people close to you, having smoother skin with fewer wrinkles, restoring youthful muscle and strength. So there's enormous power in restoring these lost microbes. Now, it's interesting. You go on to say in the book uh, that it's not just uh, all of these artificial ingredients. You mentioned the sodas and the processed foods and so on. Those are the things that would immediately come to mind for people uh, that that are negatively affecting our microbiome. But also some of the things that we might think are good for us, the grains, the wheat, some of these things that we consume today are not the same as they used to be generations ago. That's right. That was the message of my Wheat Belly series of books, that agribusiness and geneticists have changed this thing called wheat. It's no longer a four and a half foot, five foot tall traditional plant. It's an 18 inch tall, short, stocky plant created essentially in a laboratory. It's very different. One of the effects, for instance, is the gliadin protein within wheat is uh, not digestible, not fully digestible by humans. We just we just don't have the enzymes to break that protein down. And so it's broken down instead into peptide fragments. And these peptide fragments have opioid effects and they cross into the brain and they stimulate appetite as well as have other effects like mental fog and impulsive behavior. But the main driving force here is the gliadin-derived opioid peptides drive appetite. And that's why people have such a hard time losing weight, because they're consuming an appetite stimulant. Now, in this new book, in uh, in Super Gut, you talk about recognizing these uh, gut conditions. Is it... Simply, is it as simple as, hey, if I'm not feeling well, this is probably why? Or are there certain telltale signs that this is maybe what's going on? Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that's happened, we've lost, of course, uh, important species. And in their place, unhealthy species have uh, proliferated and taken their place. These are species you might have heard of, like E. coli and salmonella, because they also cause food poisoning. These are stool microbes, and they've proliferated, out-muscled healthy species, then ascended up into the uh, small bowel, the ileum, jejunum, duodenum, and stomach. So modern people, by my estimation, one in three Americans, one in three Americans, over 100 million people have this condition called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth which means 30 feet of bowels filled with unhealthy microbes. These creatures, of course, don't live for decades. They live for hours, and there's a rapid turnover. When they die, a lot of their breakdown products enter the bloodstream. And so unhealthy microbes in the GI tract can export their effects to the skin, for instance, cause conditions like rosacea or psoriasis, can export their effects to the brain as as depression or as seizures, or as Parkinson's disease, or Alzheimer's dementia. They can export it to joints, as in rheumatoid arthritis, joint swelling and pain of rheumatoid arthritis. In other words, I think that all modern chronic conditions need to be re-examined in light of a major contribution of a disrupted microbiome. Now, again, referencing the subtitle of the book, A Four-Week Plan to Reprogram Your Microbiome, how does one go about reprogramming your microbiome then? 
So there's a number of things that people can do. One, stop disrupting it. So try to minimize your exposure to antibiotics. Uh, as you know, antibiotics are wildly overprescribed. There's a time and place for them, but you want to absolutely minimize your reliance on them and never take them, for instance, for a viral illness that could, just in case, turn into a bacterial infection. That's a very unwise thing to do. It also means trying whatever possible, for instance, to consume or choose organic foods and reduce your exposure to herbicides and pesticides. Uh, reduce your exposure to such things as anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen because they massively disrupt your microbiome. Then we restore those microbes. And so one of the things that we do is we take a microbe of interest. I, I liken this to going to a restaurant. When you walk into a restaurant, the waitress hands you a menu. You don't freak out and say, I can't order all these appetizers and main dishes and, and desserts. You pick and choose the dishes you want. The same thing here. If you want smoother skin with less wrinkles, get this microbe. If you want a smaller waist and reduce knee pain, get this microbe. If you have a baby, you want that child to grow up healthy without asthma, less uh, opportunity for irritable syndrome symptoms, and have a higher IQ, be more intelligent, get this other microbe. You can order up these kinds of effects, but we do it by fermenting them. That is, you ferment various foods. Yogurt's the easiest. We make the reason for that is you can increase the number of these microbes uh, when you do that. So one of the uh, yogurts we make, for instance, is Lactobacillus rotari yogurt. And when we did flow cytometry on our yogurts, we counted about 250 to 260 billion microbes per half cup serving. That's one of the reasons why we get such big effects. You consume the rotari yogurt, for instance, and that's when ladies smooth their skin wrinkles. Uh, you and I regain lost muscle muscle mass and strength, deeper sleep. I'm a chronic insomniac. I now sleep nine hours straight through by eating this yogurt. Uh, appetite is suppressed. You're no longer a victim of impulse or uh, appetite. Um, uh, you, because this, this microbe works by stimulating the brain's release of the hormone oxytocin, the uh, hormone of love and empathy, you'll feel closer to your partner. You'll feel You'll, you'll get along with your family and coworkers better. You'll be less, you'll have less social anxiety in social settings. In other words, a, a dramatic change in human behavior, social behavior, and in physiology. And that's just one micro, by the way. You're talking earlier about holding up the uh, microbiome as, uh, you know, the cause of everything from eczema to Alzheimer's. You mentioned a whole gamut of things. Are you holding this up as a cure for all of those things? No, we can't say that the microbiome is the cause for all those diseases. It is a cause for many diseases, but more commonly, it makes things worse. So if something else initiated, say, type 2 diabetes, that is, let's say you like to eat a lot of sugar and grains and drink uh, uh, sodas filled with sugar, that can give you type 2 diabetes. But it's the contribution of the microbiome that makes it much worse. And so by addressing the microbiome and reducing that process where the microbes release their breakdown product, that's a process, by the way, called endotoxemia. If you address that endotoxemia and address the, uh, the bowel floor, the, um, the microbiome, mm -hmm. you can reduce blood sugar dramatically. You can reduce insulin resistance. You can shrink your waist. Now, it'd be better if you took dietary measures address that too and address the common nutrient deficiencies that afflict modern people like magnesium because we all drink filtered water you can go farther but addressing the microbiome is a big part of the answer 
Again, Dr. William Davis is author of the new book, Super Gut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight. Really taps into uh, one of the uh, hot-button issues uh, these days. Everybody looking uh, for uh, healthier ways to live and uh, uh, healthier foods to eat and so on and so forth. And Do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? So I had a Wheat Belly blog that was heavily trafficked, 33 million visits, but I recently transitioned it to a new website to capture all these books. It's called Dr. Davis, Dr. Davis, InfiniteHealth.com. Dr. Davis, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. So a little bit earlier, we were talking about how a significant number of Americans have had it up to here with all of that new you, new you, new year, new you stuff for uh, 2022. We're over it now. Well, at the risk of globbing on to the whole new year, new you thing, we're going to talk new year, new you with what you need for a healthier, better day to day life in 2022. Beauty lifestyle expert. Grace Gold. Grace, Happy New Year. Hi, Chris. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. So what is the first step that we should consider as we shift into this new year with this new year, new you mindset? Well, you know, Chris, I say let's make 2022 the year of convenience. I recommend uh, checking out a wholesale club. And personally, I really love BJ's Wholesale Club because basically you get access to a one-stop shop for your groceries, the everyday essentials, so much more. And I love that BJ's has convenient shopping options like ship to home, curbside or in-club pickup, even same-day delivery and groceries delivered in as little as two hours, which is so helpful with everything going on. Uh, it's quick and easy, saves money with unbeatable prices. I can tell you as a BJ's member for many years, I love saving up to 25% off grocery store prices every day. So just one little thing that we can do may seem simple, but certainly uh, one way to de-stress in the new year. So absolutely. So uh, you also have uh, some beauty tips as we uh, head into 2022. Yes, well, a healthy hair uh, resolution can really help boost your confidence in the new year. And, you know, one way to get healthy, strong hair is to take a supplement regularly. And I love Viviscal Hair Growth Supplements. They're formulated with Aminomar, which is a proprietary collagen complex. Plus, it's got key vitamins and minerals to help achieve thicker hair. And the Viviscal Hair Growth Vitamins, they're unique in that they're clinically proven to nourish thinning hair. They also reduce shedding. They increase thickness in as little as three months. I love that it's 100% drug-free as well, and this can be used by every woman, every hair type. Now, uh, it says here in my notes uh, that I have to ask you about this, uh, something that you love to keep in your back pocket. Are we talking literally or figuratively here? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I got a couple things I keep in my cabinet that really help with my realm. All right. I thought thought maybe this was more figurative than literal, so uh, lay it on us here. Yes. So, you know, gut health is very important, but especially this time of year, because we're stressed out. We're eating foods we don't typically eat during the holidays, Uh, traveling, some medications. These things can all change the balance of your gut microbiome. So I keep Align 24-7 digestive support on hand, and this fortifies the digestive system with healthy bacteria 24-7. So you can maintain that healthy balance. And I love that it's developed by gastroenterologists, 
to help soothe the occasional bloating, gas, abdominal discomfort. I got to tell you, after just a month, I saw how great a healthy gut could feel. And you can join the Align Healthy Gut team up to learn more. Get a $2 coupon at alignprobiotics.com. And then my last tip for you, you know, before you jump into all these fitness resolutions, you know, like if you're working out and you're waking up sore, I think we all are, yeah. especially to start a new routine. Something you can keep on hand is Arnicare gel. Now, this helps relieve muscle pain, stiffness, swelling from minor injuries, overexertion. It even reduces discoloration from bruising. And it's made with fresh Arnica plants that are hand-picked, they're responsibly sourced. I personally use it as the first sign of muscle pain. And I love that it really quickly absorbs into your skin so you don't have to worry about it feeling sticky or greasy as well. She is beauty, wellness, and lifestyle expert Grace Gold with uh, what you need for a healthier, more fulfilling day-to-day life in 2022. Don't give up. Don't give up yet. We've got a link up at our webpage for more, goodmornings.net. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Did you hear about this story? This was uh, in the news uh, yesterday, actually, but it is so good. I had to bring this up in the uh, broken news. One man's failure to tip his bartender has led to his arrest uh, in in Florida. Now, this is the story. It's not he wasn't arrested specifically because he didn't tip his bartender. There's no law against that. It's just a crummy thing to do. But the bartender in question says a 21-year-old man came in, ordered three drinks on New Year's Eve, and did not leave a tip. He was the only customer that night who didn't tip the bartender. And it left such a bad impression on the staff that they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they couldn't forget him. You know, they remembered very vividly who this person was. (laughs) And that was important because police released webcam video showing people burning a uh, Christmas tree on uh, a a landmark buoy off the coast of Key West. The buoy that marks the southernmost point of the United States, the continental United States. Uh, So this is like a a point of pride. They have a Christmas tree on this buoy that got vandalized. And so the police had uh, security footage, webcam video, uh, showing the people burning the Christmas tree. And wouldn't you know it, (laughs) Skylar Jacobson, one of the men participating in the vandalism of the tree on the buoy, sure enough, was the same guy who didn't tip the bartenders on New Year's Eve. And they were able to identify him (laughs) to police. They didn't know his name, but they remembered the fact that he did not tip. So they went back through the credit card receipts and they nabbed him. (laughs) Skyler Jacobson of Henrietta, Texas, has now been arrested along with uh, his partner in the arson, 22-year-old David Perkins of Leesburg, Florida. (laughs) The uh, bartender... Uh, said he didn't feel he should be rewarded for his assistance on the arrest, but he was given a case of rum for his efforts by the owner of a rum distillery in Kentucky, according to the report. <laughs> so he he did get a bit of a reward for helping the cops out, and all because, I guess the moral of the story is, always tip your bartenders. <laughs> Love that story. Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, 
This is a big oopsie. 46-year-old Michael Caranda of Tabor, South Dakota, was arrested earlier this week for a, or I guess uh, the tail end of last week, for possession of a controlled substance. His arrest came after multiple calls about a possible poisoning at the Tabor Senior Center the day before. It turns out that multiple residents, multiple, multiple folks at the Senior Center were found to be under the influence of THC from a batch of pot brownies brought to the center by Mr. Coranda's mother. (laughs) When a deputy spoke with mom, she said her son had baked some brownies and she took them to a card game at the center. She she wanted to pass them out, not knowing that they were pot brownies. (laughs) Michael admitted that he had recently visited Colorado, where he had bought a pound of THC butter and brought it back with him, used it to bake the brownies, and then after he baked the brownies, he left them on the counter. He went to bed. His mom took the brownies while he was asleep before he could he could warn her, and she got all of the residents of the senior center high. Uh, the problem is THC, not legal for recreational use in South Dakota, and uh, <clears throat> Mr. Coranda is now under arrest. He had to submit the remaining half pound of THC butter to the police. There. <laughs> so he, he got arrested, got his mom in a little hot water, and he didn't even get to enjoy his pot brownies. That's <laughs> big old oopsie right there. <clears throat> A Texas woman is accused. Now, this is just dumb. I mean, running a scam online is bad enough. But but Yvonne Lucio of San Antonio was caught pretending to be a cop while running a Facebook scam. Uh, She was caught when a real police detective found her picture being used to sell jewelry on the social media site. Why why would you pose as a cop when you're running a scam online? The 37-year-old Ms. Lucio, age 37, was uh, apparently cashing checks but telling customers the money never arrived. That was the scam. Uh, People would buy things. uh, She would cash the checks, but then she'd go back and try and charge them again because she said that the money didn't arrive. The arrest paperwork shows shows she defrauded several victims. (laughs) And all while, I mean, that's bad enough, but then... I don't know. Did she try and pose as a cop to add, add some legitimacy to to it? I don't know, but that doesn't seem to be too bright uh, on either count. <clears throat> uh, requisite animal, uh, fun animal story, funny animal story from Virginia. Taikisha Cherry uh, took her 10-month-old dog, Lucky, to the groomers. When she picked up her pooch, she snapped a photo, and in it, the dog... Looked a little odd. Uh, She thought, well, maybe it's just because of the grooming. I mean, dog looks different, right? Uh, She later, though, sent the photo to her boyfriend and asked if he had any idea why her usually affectionate Maltese poodle looked so shifty. She also noticed the dog was not responding to its name. (laughs) Yep, she grabbed the wrong dog. the groomers (laughs) well the dog was groomed it was hard to recognize didn't look the same (laughs) 
<laughs> she raced back to the groomer to get the right dog and learned the pooch she had taken was another Maltese named Bentley. So she traded Bentley in for Lucky without incident. She posted about the blunder on Facebook where it went viral. <laughs> Oops. <clears throat> and finally, in the broken news this morning, three another animal story. Three cats belonging to a woman in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, have apparently been trying to claim ownership of a blender box in a month-long standoff that has been captured uh, and has captured the interest of social media users worldwide. According to a news report from the CBC, it all started December 16th, according to Nikki Gerson-Neves, one of the uh, cat's owners, when she brought a new Vitamix blender and left the still-unopened box on the kitchen floor. Her four-year-old cat, Max, immediately jumped on the box, um, and the situation then spiraled out of control as Max's two siblings, George and Lando Calrissian, <laughs> the other cat's names, also took an interest in the Vitamix box as well. It's been a month now since the siege began, and the three cats take their turns atop the box, <laughs> and they won't let their owner open it. Uh, this has exploded on Facebook in popularity Com comments coming in from as far away as Italy and Australia. Uh, Nikki said, when we started the page, we have for the cats on Facebook, it had about 50 followers. Now it's over 19,000 people who are following this saga. The <laughs> three cats, uh, taking, uh, taking siege of the, uh, Vitamix, uh, blender in, the <laughs> in their house. They still... Haven't been able to open it because they the cats won't won't let them anywhere near it. <laughs> there you go. That is the uh, broken news this morning. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Road work, detours, traffic backups, and delays, it can get a little frustrating and confusing, but we can help keep you ahead of the game. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Just check out the Traffic Center at WFIN.com and you'll know where the trouble spots are in Findlay and Hancock County. Download Waze, use it whenever you're driving, and join our drive team to help inform others of traffic issues. The WFIN Traffic Center, powered by Waze, and available at WFIN.com. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. New study finds that we are spending way more time staring at our phones than we should. A lot more than maybe what you think you are and so much more than is healthy. App Annie's latest State of Mobile report has found that consumers globally spent a record 3.8 trillion hours on our phones in 2021. 3.8 trillion hours. And if you do the math, that works out to an average of 4.8 hours a day on our phones. 4.8 hours a day. And if that doesn't jump out at you right away, consider that that is nearly one-third of our waking hours. One-third we spend on our phones. App Annie notes that 2021 was record-breaking as consumers continue to embrace a mobile lifestyle and move away from 
big screens. In particular, the video sharing app TikTok saw an increase of 90% use globally, excluding China compared to 2020. Another interesting find, globally, consumers spent $170 billion purchasing apps, which is up 19% from 2020. So it's time, it's money. That is amazing when you think about it. If one of your New Year's resolutions is to maybe spend a little less time on your phone than you did last year, that's probably a good idea. In fact, if that is not one of your resolutions, you might want to consider (laughs) setting such a goal for 2022. And by the way, if you need some inspiration or, you know, some motivation for this. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I saw a report from the American Association for the Advancement of Science, uh, citing research out of the UK, where researchers found that spending time outdoors provides more opportunities for a healthy body image. Uh, Coping strategies, many people struggle with body image. And uh, this study says that Getting out into nature can help people deal with that. Now, they theorize that the more you are outside enjoying nature, the less you are on your devices, which have been proven to lead to a lot of self-consciousness about our body image, Um, some unrealistic appearance standards and, you know, that kind of thing. It is uh, thought that, Being in nature may also help individuals develop healthier thought processes that lead them to more realistic appraisals of body image and uh, so on. Uh, The uh, lead study author says, we know that positive body image boosts mental health, and this study adds weight to the growing body of evidence about the importance of exposure to nature and how we need to ensure as a society that everyone has as much access to natural environments as possible. Now, I know it's not real easy this time of year to get out, but on those days when you can, get out and enjoy the great outdoors, put your phone away for a few hours, and make you happier all the way around. Something to think about this morning. And now for our final segment this morning. Something to chew on in today's Throwback Thursday. For today, we go back exactly one year to a topic that is every bit as timely and every bit as debated today as it was a year ago. And that is the question of who decides what is and isn't appropriate to be shared online. And how do those in the position to make those decisions arrive at the decisions they make? In January of 2021, we spoke with Michael Brennan, policy organizer at the Democracy Policy Network and research fellow for the Democracy Collaborative, a nonprofit think tank and research center at the University of Maryland. Michael, this actually is not necessarily a new debate. Uh, Certainly, uh, there has been discussion over uh, the president's use of social media to communicate uh, with his followers, mobilize his base uh, over the course of his term. But it really does seem to have come to a head with what we have seen over the past week and a half or so. Yeah, there's been longstanding questions of 
how social media companies regulate hate speech, regulate calls to violence, incitement to violence. Um, for example, in 2017, 2018, Facebook removed 2 million posts from, from ISIS-related accounts for their calls to violence, right? So there's obviously weaponization of uh, social media to decide what is legitimate speech and what isn't. And um, there's it was an issue in the recent election in terms of sure. um, you know, what, what was considered election interference, what was considered you know, within the political discourse, right, around like Hunter Biden's uh, laptop, for example, right, that, that came kind of a lightning rod of uh, criticism from conservatives. And so it came to a head this past week because of how serious the threat to the democratic process has become with um, with the online speech. And- People have uh, tossed around the word censorship, which obviously this is not government censorship, but it does then raise the question of if big tech is not able to regulate itself, is government intervention really a better alternative? Again, there's a few ways you could take it, right? So the first is there's the debate around Section 230, which is the legal liability protection that platforms have for any content posted on there, right? So if someone posts hate speech, if someone posts calls to violence, you can't sue the platform for that. You would um, go after the person who's, who's posting it. And that was part of the COVID bill negotiation in December. That was what Trump wanted repealed as part of his veto. Just to, and, inter- just yeah. to interject there uh, with respect to Section 230, I mean, there has been talk, and the president, as you said, is, has really advocated for the repeal of those Section 230 protections. But if you were to do that, wouldn't that actually have the opposite effect? I mean, wouldn't Internet companies then be more likely to remove speech that they think might end up in a lawsuit? I mean, uh, that actually could uh, have the opposite opposite effect of int- uh, what is intended, could it not? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the position of the conservatives are kind of incoherent on that position. Like, I don't I don't think you should take it terribly seriously. But that being said, and getting to the second part of your, your question before, um, you know, the, these current dominant big tech companies, they're not really going anywhere. You know, Parler might come up as a niche alternative to them, but they mm-hmm. were never really going to meaningfully challenge Twitter or meaningfully challenge Facebook because of um, what we can call the natural monopoly tendencies of the uh, big tech companies. And that actually uh, kind of leads to my thought here in that we talk about what is, I mean, we are increasingly recognizing that this is a platform by which millions of people uh, get their uh, information and uh I'm thinking the solution to this issue that we have at hand today might be found in the way we have dealt with similar issues in the past. A hundred years ago, when broadcasting was brand new, uh, the government Mm -hmm. recognized its potential to sway public opinion and uh, the, the, the potential uh, to be so powerful that it stepped in and said, you know, there needs to be you know, some set of, of regulations, some rules of the road for broadcasters. And I know the Internet is much different and much more difficult to regulate. But at the same time, the European Union has figured out how to do that with privacy laws. Is it time to look at maybe some of those standards that were implemented in the infancy of the broadcasting industry and maybe adapting those for the internet as an information resource. 
Yeah, the past few years have seen a renaissance in antitrust action and antitrust interests, especially in regards to the big tech corporations. Um, and the House Judiciary Committee concluded their investigation in October, looking at Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple, and essentially how they've monopolized a lot of the key sectors of the digital economy. Um, and so, like, for example, we can look at what happened with Parler as a good um, representation of this, right? So Google and Apple control 99% of the mobile app store um, marketplace. And so when Parler is reliant on those two monopolies in order to be able to get their uh, platform onto people's phones, um, Google and Apple are essentially able to squash the competition. Mm -hmm. Or with cloud services, Parler was reliant on Amazon Web Services. And so Amazon is able to um, essentially remove the cloud service in yeah. order for them to be able to operate. So even the co competitors in the digital economy are dependent on um, the monopolies in other ways because the platform economy is interconnected in, and, in these different services. And the counter argument to the censorship accusation is that these are private companies. Facebook and Twitter are well within their rights to remove any content they see fit for whatever reason. And Apple and Google and Amazon Web Services are free to remove Parler the same way an owner might kick a disruptive customer out of their restaurant. But again, in the early days of broadcasting, you may make the same argument that if the president can't get on radio or TV, he can always send out telegrams or make phone calls to get his message out there. And at some point, it is just not a viable argument. As we become more reliant on the Internet as an information source, big tech really should have some responsibility to act as a public trust. And the cries of censorship really do take on a significant meaning, a significant relevance. Yeah, and like you're saying, you know, this is a long-standing problem, even predating the internet, and we're seeing a similar, maybe a different, qualitatively different, but a, a similar type of problem yeah. Yeah. today. And ultimately, and this is part of our argument that we put out in our paper, is um, antitrust on it on its own. Even though there's a renaissance of it right now, right? There's kind of a somewhat of a bipartisan consensus that antitrust action needs to move forward, they're not really getting at the root of the problem. Any antitrust action is kind of predicated implicitly on a pro-competitive or a pro-market strategy still. Our argument is thinking of it as public utility regulation, which is historically how we've dealt with natural monopolies. Um, but still, again, like with you know electricity utilities, you can see how having an investor-owned utility still sets up a fundamental incompatibility with the public interest, right? They're able to lobby your local government to change regulations in a certain way. And there isn't really a concerted counterwe counterweight in terms of the public interest to make sure that they're kept in control. And, and so over time, they're able to kind of creep back and continue their exploitation of the public. Um, and that's why we favor um, a new paradigm of public ownership of um, the platform economy, because it it actually gets at the root of these problems in a way that meaningfully democratizes these decisions and meaningfully brings them into public control. 
so many layers of this and certainly a debate that is not going away anytime soon. As you rightly point out, uh, it's been going on for many decades, even predating the Internet. This is just a a different Mm -hmm. uh, platform to have the same uh, debate that we've uh, been having. And it's certainly worth pointing out as we talk about, I circle back to that original question of who decides what's appropriate to be shared online. Even Parler uh, Mm -hmm. removed uh, some before they uh, ended up being shut down. Uh, even Parler removed some uh, posts that uh, were completely over the top. So everybody has their standards. It's just a matter of who decides and why. Um, Again, Michael Brennan is policy organizer at the Democracy Policy Network and a research fellow at the Democracy Collaborative at the University of Maryland. Michael, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. From exactly one year ago today, our Throwback Thursday segment with Michael Brennan, policy organizer at the Democracy Policy Network and research fellow for the Democracy Collaborative. We've got more information at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Today's Throwback Thursday. And with that, we wrap up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, two-thirds of Americans are rethinking their career choice with half considering leaving their job. As the great resignation marches on, we have three steps to make a meaningful change a little less daunting. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.